thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, where we are once again following along the prophet Elijah that was sent to Ahab. He comes on the scene with that strong word of rebuke to wicked King Ahab. He tells him there's going to be a drought. But, but more than that, it wasn't just about the rain, you know. It, it was about the false worship of Baal, the God that they viewed as the God of fertility and rain. And, and the drought was not just something physical, but it was also something spiritual. And it came at the voice of Elijah. And he gives that strong word and he heads off on his life of faith. Well, really the life of faith began when he was told to go to Ahab. And, and he gives the word and then he goes off to the brook Cherith. He's fed by ravens. Uh, everything dries up. He comes to that Gentile widow's house. There's the miracle with the oil, the miracle with the flour, and, and then there's the resurrection of her son. And now we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 18, where it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Just a couple things before we move on. I like that phrase, it came to pass after many days. It, it, it was a few more days, and we don't know exactly if, he's, if this phrase is referring to all three years or somewhere in the middle of three years, but let's just take it for what it is. The, there was a tremendous outpouring and work of God in the resurrection of this widow's son, and then he didn't hear from the Lord for another many days. And, and that's normal. You, you may think as you read through the scriptures, as you're turning the page, that you're going to hear some miraculous thing from God or some amazing thing from God every time you turn the page, which would reflect for us every time a day comes or every time we think about it. But, but there are many days where God has you waiting on him. There are many days where God has you in the silence and you need to be ready and I need to be ready for the word of the Lord that'll come after many days. Like for example, you might be receiving this Bible study, learning how to take notes and, and jotting a few things down that you heard, but it really won't come to, to, to pass or it really won't come strong in your heart for many days. And you might walk out and go, oh, another Bible study, I didn't get much out of that. That's okay. Take it in because God may give you something out of it after many days. So you just take it in and take it in and let the Lord be responsible for the result. So here we are in the third year, he gets the word, go back to Elijah, or excuse me, go back to Ahab and tell him rain is coming. So Elijah, verse two, went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them fifty to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. Verse 6. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. So by the end of three years, the drought is very severe. Uh, desperation sits in. And, and that seems to be the theme, isn't it? We saw desperation in the widow, and now we're seeing a little desperation in Ahab. 
where he says, you go that way and I'll go this way and we'll look for everywhere that we possibly can to find a little grass. What was the widow looking for? What was she out looking for? Sticks to make a little fire with what little she had. And now Ahab, the king himself, is splitting up and he's going in one direction. He sends one of his servants in another and he's looking for grass. The simple things, the basic things. And Elijah hears again the word of the Lord to return to the king and announce that rain is, re- is, is returning. And we're introduced to this man, Obadiah, a God-fearer within the kingdom. And he's sent out to go look for the grass. Ahab is seeking relief from the famine. He's seeking to have relief come from all the effects of the judgment of God. And yet he's failed to seek out, at least it's not recorded for us anywhere. He wants relief, but he's not seeking the root of the issue. He's not seeking out how to solve the issue. He just wants temporary relief. I point that out because it's an important principle for you to grasp in your relationship with God. Because the same thing happens to you. And the same thing most likely has happened to you where when crisis comes and difficulty arise and the weight of the difficulty is weighing on you, you want relief, but you don't necessarily want to deal with the root of the issue. When you sit down with a pastor here or you're involved in some kind of spiritual discipleship or where somebody's opening the Bible to you and talking to you about your life and you're asking for answers and you're asking for insight and somebody here, you make an appointment or you come up after a service and you want to talk about the things of, of God and a Bible is open to you, you're going to learn that our goal is, our goal is to get to the root of the issue which is why you don't want to talk anymore and why you get so mad and why there's such resistance and why you just shut down or why you get angry at some of the questions that are being asked. Because the closer we get to the root of the issue, the more response we're going to get from you. And it's really not for us, is it? We make the mistake of making the issue each other. It's not about us. It's about our relationship with God. And God's just using people in our lives to get to the root of the issue. Here you are wanting relief. I can already, I, I I can picture it in my mind. A big argument in your marriage. A big difficulty with your kids. You, you just got laid off, and there you are. You're, 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 you're desperate, and so you pick up the phone, You tell Google, you tell Siri, call Calvary Chapel Aurora. She says, I found one for you. And so, well, call it. I already told you. Call Calvary Chapel. So so it calls up and you get, hello, Calvary Chapel. I need to speak with a pastor. Just a moment, please. Pastor gets on the line. I need help. I need help. Well, come on in or come in tonight after service and we'll talk and we'll pray and let's pray right now. and, And you're looking for help and you're looking for relief. It's probably not on your mind. I've got a really big issue, and I want to sit down with someone who will uncover every single hidden thing in my life and will reveal to me things that I already know but I don't want to admit, will give me direction and not, it'll, it will, you know, a lot of times it's phrased like this, uh, I don't really want to call anyone, I don't really want to ask for help because they're just going to tell me it's my fault. 
because nobody wants to own up to their side of the issue, so it's just interpreted, it's all my fault. It's not all your fault, but it's some your fault. Can I get an amen? amen. Are you sure? I had to ask for that. Usually I get some without, I get amens without asking, but I had to ask for that one because it's hard to admit. We're in the midst of some difficulty, some situation. It's hard to admit, you know, I do have responsibility in this. I am part of the problem. As much as I'm a part of the solution, I'm a part of the problem. So a few things to keep in mind. Uh, if you call us, or you call it, uh, well, I can only speak for us, but I would hope other churches hold to the same thing. Number one, if you call us, here's a couple things we have in mind. Number one, we're going to use God's word as the first and final word of authority in your life. It won't be our opinion. It won't be some study. It won't be some psychological review. We will ask the Holy Spirit to use the tool of his word as the first and the final authority. Number two, we are, one of our goals is to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit that really knows you better than we know you. And we trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us <clears throat> to the real you that will reveal the real issue. You go, what do you mean real you? Well, the you behind the facade, the you, the you behind the face, the you behind the mask, the you behind the, re everything that you present to us, we need to get behind it to get to the real you. And, and a lot of times it's hard to get to the real you because it's embarrassing to reveal us. It's embarrassing to say, you know, I did this and I did that. I, I'm, it's embarrassing. So instead of being embarrassed, many people choose to, uh, to create a false facade <clears throat> and, uh, and present to you and present to one another someone who we're really not. And that's what makes churches so plastic and so hurtful. Uh, that's what makes churches just so unlovely uh, that hinders the work of the Spirit in our lives. When you've got a group of people that say they're real and worshiping, they have their hands lifted and I love you, God, and then pretend and lie to one another, that's just not pretty. And we're gonna get, we want to get to the real you. And thirdly, we want to get to the root of the issue, not just the reasons why you called. We want to get to the root of the issue, not just the reasons why you asked for help. And it's probably the reasons and the circumstances and the responses to them that's caused you so much pain and so much difficulty. And they can deceive you into thinking that if we just give answers for the reasons, then all will be well. It would be the equivalent in the medical profession of, of having all of these symptoms presenting a serious problem, but all you want from the doctor is a prescription, and, and you just, here's your prescription, and everything's going to be fine, and you take the prescription, and say, well, you know, the doctor said everything, and never really do what the doctor was trained to do, and that is, you know, you need surgery. No, I didn't ask for surgery. I just want you to write me a prescription. Yeah, but everything in your life, what my x-rays are saying and the MRI is saying, you need surgery or it's gonna get worse. Well, spiritually, it's the same way, although we don't have all those tools and MRIs and, and X-rays and things to get behind the scenes. We have the Holy Spirit, and He'll reveal what He needs to reveal when He needs to reveal it. And we wanna to get to the root, to the root. The Bible has a lot to say about the root. We don't want just to settle for temporary relief. We wanna be healed, set free, and walk in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jot these down, I'll read them to you. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3, it says, A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. 
the root of the righteous. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. One of Paul's prayers for the believers in the city of Ephesus was that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that you might be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And that idea of rooted is to have your roots going down strong the right way and not to, you know, like, like just like the Bible says, putting the ax to the root. We need to cut out in our lives those things that are hindering us or we'll continue to repeat the same mistakes. So that's where Ahab is. Obadiah is a, a, fresh, a freshness in the text. This man of God serving in the kingdom, uh, he's serving in a very corrupt government. Uh, and he's got an evil king, and his wife was worse than the evil king. His name, if you like to write down things, Obadiah means servant of God. So the picture here that God's giving us is that a servant of God is in the evil kingdom with an evil king and a wicked wife. Which always reminds me to, to remind you that God has you where you are on purpose. <laughs> You're like, Ahab? I work for Ahab. He's got a different name. And when his wife shows up, oh man, I, I, that's me. It might be. And God has you there on purpose. He has you there to be available to Ahab. To go be sent out and find some grass. But more than that, he was in the proximity of this wicked atrocity and the murderous rampage and massacre of Jezebel toward these prophets and being at the right place at the right time enabled him to save a hundred lives. We never look at things that way. God, you might have me here to save a hundred lives. Instead, we go, I can't believe Ahab is my boss. I, I just don't want to be here. And yet here he is, hiding them and feeding them with bread. And notice what it says, he fed them with bread and what? In the midst of a drought? God will always provide. God will always provide. And he found enough bread and water to take care of these prophets in Jesus' name really in God's name, but Messiah looking forward. Verse 7. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he said, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah's here. And then he said, How have I sinned that you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, <clears throat> Elijah's here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. And so when I go and tell Ahab and he can't find you, he'll kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. This is a funny, this is funny. Elijah comes, they meet up as he's looking for grass and, hey, I'm Elijah. You're Elijah. Oh, man, this is amazing. Go tell Ahab that you found me. Oh, I'm not telling Ahab because by the time I get to Ahab, you're going to disappear. The Spirit of God is going to take you to some brook or to some widow or to some city. I'm not doing it. I want to live. I mean, you can't miss the comedy in the Scriptures. 
I don't know how you'd respond, but I think I'd respond. I don't think I'd respond, yes, I'm a mighty man of God, and I will go to Ahab. Like, man, I, I'm just like, I'm, you tell him. <laughs> you go tell him. I'm not telling him. And notice he says, was it not reported, verse 13, to my Lord, what, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here? He'll kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts, listen, the word of the Lord through Elijah, to the anxiety and to the anxious and to the concern and to the, to, to the, the thoughts of protecting his own life, which are all normal, here's the word of the Lord. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. As Obadiah is searching, so Elijah shows up and meets him, and it's a tremendous turn of events, but he's concerned. And I love what he says here. It's really good with the timing of everything in our prayer points tonight in verse 12, it shall come to pass uh, as soon as I'm gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know uh, and I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you and he'll kill me, but I your servant, mark these words, but I your servant have feared the Lord from my youth. I feared the Lord from my youth. That's an important phrase and it's a tremendous testimony to have. Wouldn't you agree? It would be the, the same way that we would say today, I was raised in a godly home and I had godly parents that prayed for me and raised me and taught me the ways of God and brought me to church and read the Bible to me. I, I was raised in a godly home. One of the things that they taught him was not merely the grace of God or the love of God, or the, even the mercy of God, but they also taught their young Obadiah the fear of God. They taught him the love of God, and they taught him the mercy of God, and they taught him the forgiveness of God, but they also emphasized for their son the fear of the Lord. Now, this is not a fear like, we would, like he has of being killed by Ahab. That's not the fear here. This, this is that godly awe and reverence of who God is, it is what Nehemiah prayed in Nehemiah 1. Oh, great and awesome God. It's not I'm afraid, as sometimes has been put into children's hearts because of the anger of their dad or the anger of their mom. And, and how can they not associate their authority figures in their lives, the anger of their parents to a God that their parents tell them about, and now they're afraid of God, that he's going to condemn them, or he's going to, that God is going to undercut you, or he's chasing after you, or he's ready to judge you, or he's going to shower lightning down on you or some sort. That's not the fear he's speaking of, but rather, like Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. So there's wisdom in the fear of the Lord. There's knowledge and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so a fear of God really speaks to not cowering in fear, not running away in fear, but to be in awe of God, to recognize his awesome power, that he's holy and righteous and true. Now let me speak to you parents for a moment because this is very key and critical. 
Parents, your kids primarily learn about God from you. You are the primary tool in their lives that will either teach them about God in a positive way or teach them about God in a negative way. But believe me, parents, you're teaching them about God. You're teaching them about God. The way your kids learn about the love of Jesus Christ is you. It's not Christian school. It's not Sunday school. It's not me as a pastor or a teacher. It's you. You're the one. You're the one that has the most time with them, the most access to them. You're the one that they trust the most. You're the one that they live with or have, if you have to share custody, that you have the most time with. You sometimes think because of your life and maybe your own mistakes and your own weaknesses and you look at yourself in the frailty of your own life and you go, you know, if Pastor Ed would just tell my kids, they would listen to him. Probably not. Probably not more than they would listen to you. To you and your example. Now, you could be in a place where you need to rehabilitate your Um, your credibility and your testimony with your kids. That may be where you're at right now. It's possible. It's possible for you to rehabilitate your credibility and your reputation with your children. Well, they'll receive from you. You just got to start. It's never too late to start. So you're, you know, but Ed, my kid's 40 years old. We'll start today. Because starting today is better than putting it off another day. And then 40 becomes 41 and 42. And then you guys with little ones... You know, even as I was in our prayer group, I was thinking back to the scripture that Shandell had shared with us. One of the first things that God impressed upon my heart as a new believing dad was that not provoking your kids unto wrath. That's all I did with my son was provoke him. I thought that's what dads did. They mess with their kids. I really believe that. Pop them in the back of the head, twist their ear, mess around with them, and then try to draw out of them that they could mess around with you. And instead of being a dad, I kind of viewed parenthood as buddy-buddy. Even though I'm separated by 20 years from my son, or 18 years from my son, I I felt like, you know, we're going to be buddy-buddy, so we're going to be pals. And and, and yet I had had power over him. I had had the being taller than him and bigger than him. My voice was deeper than him. And by messing around with him like that, I was making him afraid of me. And I was demeaning him. And, and I, was, I was going down the path that, that had not, God not stopped me, it would have ended in disaster. And so when the Bible says parents or dads, and, and dads in particular, as she expanded, as Chandel expanded that verse into parents, that is definitely the application. But the word of the Lord says, dads, don't provoke your kids under wrath. Why? Because dads, you guys have such a valuable gift of leadership and authority in your kids' lives. And even if you've lost it, you can get it back. Even if you've lost it, you can get it back by the authority of Jesus in your life. And I'm so glad that I, I learned that verse and I keep learning that verse. But even now, my kids are 25 and 20 almost. And, and if I'm messing with them in some way, you know, if I can't pop them in the back of the head because he'll punch me in the gut. So that's over now. But if some goof off or whatever, they'll start dropping the word on me. Dad, don't provoke your kids. And I said, like, who taught you that, man? 
And uh, even then, they can speak back, you know, the Word of God and what He has for us. And it's just so, you're the primary one. You want, oh, you want one day, if your kid's writing the Bible, he won't write the Bible, but write in your journal or some book, and he becomes a, you know, a major um, author or does interviews on TV or something, whatever. You're giving your testimony or going down generation to generation. You want to be able to say, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Pray that over your kids. God, I just want my kids to, to be able to say, I fear the Lord since my youth. And the reason I fear the Lord since my youth is because I believe his parents discipled him and took seriously the weight of responsibility that God has given to us. And if God, I'll tell you what, man, if God can change a man like me, he could change anybody. Absolutely anybody on the planet. Nobody is beyond the powerful, life-changing work of God through his Holy Spirit. Nobody. Nobody. You remember Timothy had the same testimony. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, uh, Paul said, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you all also. So we have those roles, grandparenting, great-grandparenting, parenting. The Lord has given you influence in your kid's life. Use it for his glory. Verse 17 now, it happened when, when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O trouble of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you've followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, now Ahab sees Elijah. He's been searching for him all this time. Can't find him anywhere. He has him in front of him. And the first thing out of his mouth is, you troubler of Israel. Elijah was not a troubler of Israel. He was a troubler of Ahab. <laughs> and let me just say this. When God uses you to trouble people, they're going to blame you for it. They're going to blame you for it. Oh, you troubler, you, they, they don't, that, that's not even a phrase, you troubler of Aurora. They're not going to say that. <laughs> but they will say something like, well, you self-righteous, beep, beep, beep. And that, you take that a little personal, don't you? Self-righteous, like, I'm just telling you, like, I'm just, I'm just telling you, stop yelling. That's all, don't, don't yell at mom anymore. That's I just, I don't think that, you're, you know, and that, you self-righteous, what are they putting in you in that church? And what are you, you're in a cult. And you're like, I don't think I'm in a cult, but I think I just told you to stop yelling. I think that's all we were talking about. And, and they'll be like Ahab. Oh, you troubler of Israel, as if, Ahab, as if Elijah has done anything evil, wicked, sinful. And we already know, and, and we, will, we will in the future study, and we'll learn this about Elijah. We, only, we already know a couple things about him. Number one, the Bible says that he's a man just like us. So he's no superstar way out beyond the ability of anybody in this room. Elijah is a man just like us. That's what the Bible says. And the key, now if we want to be, so Elijah is a man like us, according to James. But if we want to be a man or a woman like Elijah, then God has given us the secret to that, hasn't he? We become men and women of prayer. That was his key. That was his connection. He was connected to the Lord. When, when he was, it says three years later, he heard the word of the Lord. That gives us a little bit of insight on the other side of prayer, doesn't it? Because prayer is both speaking and listening. 
That's why we have trained you and we sometimes will remind you when you're praying and give 10, open your Bible. Pray through the scriptures. Keep it open on your lap while someone else is praying that God might, re- might take a scripture up from there or give you an answer or you're praying silently. Someone's praying something and they say something and it marks something in your mind and you start praying silently about your own life and you've got your Bible open before you. You're speaking to God and how is God gonna speak to you? Well, one of the ways he's gonna speak to you is through his word. So some of you, you could have been praying uh, Psalm 24 or 20, 25, 24. No, what were we, 25? 24, what was it? 25 verses 4 and 5, and you may have read to 6, and that became an answer of prayer for you. You just kept reading. And you're like, why am I reading this psalm? Well, because it was given to you, and God has spoken his word into your lives. So you got to be a good listener in prayer. And Elijah was a man just like us, and we can be a man just like Elijah, and we're going to learn after in, verse, in chapter 19 how much he's like us, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, making decisions. You, you think by now that all we're going to read about Elijah is that all he does is hear and obey God. All he does is hear and obey God. The same thing happens when you think of pastors, and you're like, oh, they just, they are the best. They're the most perfect. How would they ever be a pastor? They're not like me. They never do anything wrong, and they float when they walk, and that's why they never get get tired and they glow when the lights are. You see that glow? It's just my bald head, man. It's all it is. There's no glow up here. And, and there's nothing about me that's different from you in the human realm. Nothing. It's only by the grace of God I get to do what I get to do. And it's only by the grace of God you get to do what you get to do. There's nothing special about pastors or people on the radio or Nothing. Now, there, there's more responsibility. There, I'm not saying there aren't differences. I'm saying there's nothing special. And surely there are differences between you and me in relationship to God. For example, I have a greater responsibility. I'm going to be accountable for probably more people's lives than you are. Uh, I have to make sure that I don't misrepresent God to a much broader... I mean, there are differences but you don't think of anybody filling the pulpit and going, well, one day I hope to attain the spiritual level of our pastor. He is so spiritual. First of all, if you feel like that, would you please email my wife? Just let her know real quick what you think. <laughs> and then you can change your mind after that. But we're just, nor- Elijah's a normal guy. I know he's in the Bible and that's kind of cool. Uh, but even you're in the Bible. <laughs> Did you know you're in the Bible? We'll get there at the end of John. But you're in the Bible. Every believer listening to me right now is in the Bible. So if you want to look ahead, read the last chapter of John uh, John 21, and you'll see you're mentioned in the Bible. Now, your name might not be mentioned in the Bible, but you are. That's kind of cool. So is Elijah. Elijah's in the Bible, and he's a man just like us. We can be men and women just like him, and and he's a, a, a normal guy. He's a normal man, and he would naturally be taken aback at this. He would naturally be, be knocked back. A trouble of Israel, are you crazy? You're the problem, Ahab. You're the idolater. You're the one. Your wife kills prophets for goodness sake, and you're calling me a troubler? But he doesn't do any of that. He just, notice, he says, in, in his response, He comes and he says, oh, you troubler of Israel. What a troubler of Israel. And he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you've followed the Baals. 
So now, Elijah takes control over the king. He's got this confidence and authority in him. He says, now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Many men and women over the years that have followed God have been accused of being the troubler of Israel. I think of uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 20, where they said, and they brought these men to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Acts chapter 24, verse 5, for we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And Elijah was sent from God to trouble Ahab. I don't know when the last time anyone looked to you and said, oh, you troubler of my family, or you troubler of our workplace, or you're turning the world upside down. In the years that I've served Jesus, no one has ever accused me of turning the world upside down. So that tells me I've got a lot to grow in my relationship with the Lord to be used by him, because one day that would be really cool uh, to be accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus. Don't you think that'd be a cool thing? To have somebody throw me into jail and say he's a troubler of our city. For what? Well, preaching the gospel. Uh, that hasn't happened. But I have seen it in smaller ways. I have seen uh, times where someone will come and say, you, you've troubled my home. I'm like, what did I do? Well, you told my spouse such and such, and this, they said they got it from the Bible, and now they're a completely different person, and it's all your fault. Now, that's a great conversation. If they don't want to put their hands around my neck and end my life in that moment... It's a really a good conversation because they open the, there, there's an obvious change. God is obviously working in their life. They, they see it. They feel it. They may not like it, but they see it and feel it, and it gives me an open door to explain it. God didn't do anything. This is what, this is what the Bible says. This is what's happening in your home. And, and the feeling is you've changed my life. You've changed. I don't like the way it is now. I want it the way it was. I remember many years ago, where we were ministering to a man, a young man, who was on drugs and just pouring into him and, and just begging him, man, you've got to leave the drugs behind. You've got to take... And, and, and he did. And, and he began walking with the Lord. And he began serving the Lord. And, and he went home and, and everything changed. And his mom, of all people, was upset that, his, that her son was not on drugs anymore. And, and I remember distinctly her calling me and telling me, some, I'm, I don't remember the exact quote, but telling me something along the lines of this, I liked my son better when he was on drugs. Now that's pretty close to saying you've troubled me. You've troubled my home. No, no, I haven't troubled your home. God is disturbing the status quo in your life because he's saving and rescuing people that are close to you and he loves you and he's getting really close to you, isn't he? I mean, he's right in your house. God is in your house now. Like he's right in your front room. And, and we haven't, I haven't had these in a broad way, but perhaps before I go home to be with the Lord, one day that'll be a cue. You, you know, you should have never come to Aurora, man. You should have never come because you changed, you changed the city in Jesus' name. That would be a pretty cool thing to be accused of. And I would say, thank you very much. 
Thank you very much. Lives are changed. Marriage is rescued. Kids saved. You bet. You bet. We want to be troublers to sin and to sinful things, to flip the world right side up from God's perspective. And so in our study next time, we'll get to the highlight of Elijah's life. He's up on Mount Carmel. I fully expected to go through the entire chapter, um, but I want to spend some time up on Mount Carmel. I want to spend some time with Elijah. I want to build through uh, as you are able to see a man so strong and, and so committed uh, to the things of the Lord. And, and to watch the progression of how God is taking him from, from strength to strength and glory to glory, building his faith, building his faith, not just for Mount Carmel, but he's also building his faith for the cave. He's building his faith. So read ahead. That's the advantage. Read ahead the rest of chapter 18. Read ahead through chapter 19 so you know where we're headed and you can get the, let the Holy Spirit begin teaching you before we ever come to a place of studying it together. Um, but this mighty man of God ends up running away for his life and at the, at the simple threat of Jezebel. Although he knew Jezebel was serious because she's already massacred all these prophets. And, and he knows he's got the physical fighting with the spiritual. And some of you today, you have the physical fighting with the spiritual in your life. You have the physical fighting with the spiritual. The way the Bible puts that is the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. The flesh, the old life, your old sinful habit patterns... You're pushing your own way, your own agenda, your own thoughts, your own opinions uh, is taking precedent over walking in the Spirit. And the elements and the, the things to look for, whether, you know, am I walking in the Spirit? Well, well, consider this. Is there love in your life? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness? Is there self-control? Because those are a few of the evidences of walking in the Spirit. And every believer has this battle. Nobody's immune to it. Every one of us battle in the flesh and the spirit. Battle in the flesh and the spirit. And as one commentator put it many years ago, uh, it's, it's important that you feed the spirit and you starve the flesh. It's important that you feed the spirit and you starve the flesh. And investing just a few more minutes tonight in song just a few minutes on a Wednesday night where you could be sleeping or you've delayed dinner or the kids are going to be a little crabby because they're not going to bed at the normal time. Just the investment. I commend you. I commend you even those that couldn't be here physically, but you're here by technology. You will be not only blessed that you came, but feeding the spirit will make you stronger in the spirit. Starving the flesh tonight, whatever it was that you starved, whatever show that you skipped, uh, whatever movie you didn't go to, whatever restaurant you couldn't sit down to tonight, you're starving the flesh, feeding the spirit, God will be glorified in your life. And so, Father, thank you for the truth of your word that it's not just a habitual thing that we come for Bible study or we come because we have to, but rather, Lord, we gather together because we want to and we need to. And it is a sacrifice. I know it's not much of a sacrifice. I mean, we aren't hanging on a cross or anything. But we are human, and we do have lives to live. And we have so many pressures and demands. 
and, and we have so much pressing in on us, so much pushing on us, that, that we need to be fed in the Spirit. We need to hear of your faithfulness. We need to be reminded, God, from another person, from your word, confirmed by your Spirit, that we're in a battle together. And I pray, God, that, that we would have such an impact in our community that we would be accused of troubling all of Israel, but not necessarily Israel, but Aurora or Colorado. It's just, you guys are troublers. And we go, for what? What do we do? But rather, loving and serving and caring and, and you know, we're, we're, we're going to do it through love. That's how, that's how you want it done. We're not going to do it through threats and intimidation. We're not going to do it by screaming loud or posting 10-page things on Facebook. We're going to do it through love. And we just pray that you would give us an otherworldly love tonight that you would give us a sense of your purpose and your, your, your love for us, Lord. And if you're here tonight, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to receive him as your Savior tonight. I know we talk about Elijah, and we, we had all these other things, but the essence of Elijah is he followed a God, the God of all the universe, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, many years after Elijah, to die for your sins and mine to demonstrate. You know, a lot of times we want to see before we believe. Well, God, he, he even went down to our level and he says, okay, I'm going to show you. I'll show you skeptics. I'll show you hard-hearted ones. I'll show you the ones that are afraid to trust anyone in authority because of the way you were treated or the way you were hurt as a child or you, maybe you feel like you were abandoned because you were adopted or in an orphanage or and, and God is saying, no, you weren't, you weren't abandoned. I was with you all along. You're not an orphan because I'm with you and I'm your true dad. And you feel through that. You know, maybe you didn't get that in home, but you got it from a spouse that left. And God is truly drawing you to himself where you're here with fear and anxiety. You're like Ob Obadiah. You go, I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? I'll lose my life. I'll lose everything and you're fearful, and then the word of the Lord is, no, it's okay. You do what I ask you to do, and I'll, it's like God, God is like Elijah saying, you do what I ask you to do, and I'll do what I say. And that's what God's saying to you. You do what I ask you to do, and I'll keep my word to you. Because God is not just a promise. Uh, he, he's not just, he's just not wanting us to be a promise keeper, but rather the emphasis in the Bible is God is a promise giver. And the one that he gives the promise is the one that keeps it. So I just want to invite you, if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I, I really need to give my life to Jesus for the very first time, would you just stand to your feet right now? I want to pray with you. Um, that's no more important time in our time of Bible study is than when an invitation comes for you to turn away from your sins and to accept the God of all creation as your God and commit to follow him. And Wednesdays are always special to me because it's a Wednesday night that I got saved. And it was a Wednesday night that I didn't think I belonged in church. I didn't want to be in church. It was a Wednesday night that I couldn't believe I was in church. And it was the Wednesday night of appointment with God that he had for me. Maybe that's you. So if that's you, just let's respond so we can, um, we can be encouraged with you. And you can just do what you got to do to turn your life away from sin and follow God today. Anyone here? 
in the sake of the radio. You know, maybe you're, I don't see you, uh, but God sees you. Well, I see you. God bless you, bro. Today's a day. It's good. It's good. And I would extend that to those on the radio, those that are downstairs. Today's the day. This is the day we follow God. So you're so close to me, man. I'll just come down to you. Pray with me. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit that I need you. I admit that I need you. And I want you. And I want you. And I'm grateful. And I'm grateful. You want me. You want me. Help me to turn away from my sinful past. Help me to turn away from my sinful past. And to live my life completely for you. And to live my life completely for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.